Yeah, so welcome Pastor Steve's in Maine today. I hope he has snow. I haven't checked the weather up there, but I know he's praying for snow up there in Maine. But I'm with you today. Um, and kids, you guys can go head out. Thank you. Um, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be in Pennsylvania, even though it's not snowing. I would have liked some snow for Christmas, like most of us, perhaps. But I believe um, Pastor Steve's having a restful time in Maine, hopefully with some snow, like I said. So um, this morning, I wanted to talk about, well, as I was preparing, uh, I, a few, actually probably a couple months ago, God was giving me the word for a vision, to a, a word to share. And sometimes I'll have a word before I have a date to share it. Um, and so that was the case with this. And um, when Pastor Steve mentioned uh, on December 31st to share a word, I'm like, okay, I can share this, but it's gonna seem like it's very stereotypical to share a word about vision at the end of the year, beginning of a new year. But uh, because, you know, we see a lot of sermons, we see a lot of like businesses talk about vision. I've got a lot of mailers from like, you know, uh, people or emails from saying, here's our vision for the next year. And that's all well and fine. Um, but I, I wanted to look at a verse that speaks about vision. Go ahead to Proverbs, next verse, Proverbs twenty nine eighteen, And fill in the blank if you know where this word is. Where there is no vision, thank you, Craig, the people are unrestrained or the people perish, some translations say. But happy is he who keeps the law. Um, and the word vision there, sometimes we translate it uh, we think of it as a mean like a plan like and it's good like to have a vision for the years to have a kind of a plan to map it out right and there's nothing wrong with having a plan it's actually good I was thinking no when he was drumming in there I think it was uh Miss Herb in seventh grade I don't know where no got to uh seventh grade English uh he and I went to school together and there was a, a teacher had this on the wall I think it was Miss Herb she said if you um don't don't plan if you fail to plan you yeah, fail to plan, you plan to fail, is the saying. So there's some wisdom, heavenly wisdom, I believe, in planning. But really the word for vision there is more than just plan. Go ahead to the next slide there. Vision is really God's revelation. So the, it could be better translated, without God's revelation, the people perish or the people are unrestrained. And that's a true thing. We need God's revelation. We need all of who he is. And so I wanted to talk today about vision, but in the context of revelation, all right? So when you think about vision, we have two eyes, right? And it's about what we see. And so I was kind of, uh, as I was exploring this with the father, I was thinking, what does it mean to have good vision? What do you need to have vision, right? And so the first one I was looking at is to turn on the lights, right? To, to be able to see, you need to have light. Um, and I had a funny story. So I get up earlier than my wife does, probably about uh, an hour or so before she does. And so as to not disturb her in the bedroom, I keep the lights off. <clears throat> and you could say, that's, that's sweet of you to not to turn on lights. But then I step out into the kitchen and I've closed the bedroom door. And now she can't see the lights, whether they're on or off. But I have this thing where in the morning, maybe it's because I'm still waking up and my eyes are kind of like, you know, still in that night mode. But I don't turn on lights often. And... Uh, one time I, I walked into the kitchen, you know, down the hallway from the bedroom, far enough away where I could have turned on lights if I wanted to, but I just didn't. Um, maybe it was just laziness, I don't know. But so I walk into the kitchen and bam, I bang my knee right on this footstool that's a solid, solid wood, and that really hurt. And here I am jumping around, hobbling. It was probably 5.30 in the morning, pretty early, and I could have avoided that altogether if I just turned on the lights, right? Um, 
And so to have a good vision, to have a vision for what God wants for us, we need to turn on the lights. And if you look at scripture, scripture's full of uh, turning on the lights. So God is the light. Uh, Ephesians 5, 6 through 13 says, that no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things, the wrath of God comes from the sons of disobedience. Uh, therefore do not be partakers or partners with them for you are formerly of darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children in the lights. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Try to learn, try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Here's the thing. We can be in dark places and not participate with them, right? We're going to Liberia. We're going to places where maybe perhaps your workplace feels dark to you. You can be in darkness, but not participate in that. You can be the light in that darkness. That's just a little side note. But instead, expose them for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed to the light. Everything that becomes visible is light. All right, so that's a long passage, but we have vision to be able to see we need light. Um, I just bought some new light bulbs from Costco a couple days ago, and I was all excited because they're like brighter than the ones we had before. And I get pretty excited about LED bulbs. It's just a thing I have. I've put them in our bathroom, and I'm like amazed at the brightness of my sink that that I can brush my teeth and in better brightness. It was exciting, guys. I, I'm easily excited. But I noticed after I put the lights in, my sink is kind of dirty and it's kind of gross. And I realized that in order to, I had been like living in darkness in my kitchen or my bathroom sink and brushing my teeth. And now I turn the lights on, all of a sudden I gotta use Barkeeper's friend and like really scrub that counter because there's like some, some grime there that I had missed before, right? And the thing is, and this maybe this is a simplicity to the truth of the gospel is that we get afraid sometimes of turning lights on for what we're gonna find perhaps, right? Um, maybe in our, even our own hearts, we're like, God, I, I'm kind of happy with this, this measure of darkness in my, in my heart because I don't really want to deal with all this stuff. Um, but the truth is, we turn on the lights, we see the junk, we clean it up. We ask for help from the Father. He cleans it up as simple as that. It took, took me like 30 seconds, maybe a little more scrubbing to clean it up. Uh, but my kitchen, my, my bathroom sink rather is clean. So was my shower, by the way. I upgraded the lights in the shower. You can see the shower's dirty, but I cleaned the shower too. So it's wonderful. Everybody's happy in my house. No, I'm not gonna clean your bathroom. Uh, that's another, another side. Um, but there's a bunch of verses about light. You know, John 8, 12 says this, and Jesus again spoke to them saying, I'm the light of the world. So light isn't just this negative thing that we think about. It's actually a person. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. First John 1, 7 says, if we walk in the light as he himself was in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. I love the order of that phrase too. Fellowship first, and then the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. So not only does the light enable us to be cleansed of sin, like we think, like enables us to clean up our messes, but allows us to have fellowship with each other first, which is really awesome too. I think that's powerful. There's always a, a twofold thing or more that first we get clean, cleaned up, but we could have connection with each other. And I think sometimes of light um, as a tendency for us, um, you know, I, I hear in, in a political sphere uh, that we want to pray that God will shine the light on the darkness and we always think of it shining light on somebody else's darkness first, right? But Psalm 119 says this, what's the, yeah, Psalm 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. My brother lives in a, he, he works at a, a camp 
a camping ministry. They have actually people that live for an extended period of time in this in these tents. And their lights, they don't have flashlights. They have these little smoke lamps that are little um, like lanterns, right? And so they carry them around and they think of the scripture all the time because the lantern only shines enough light to light your feet up. Even if you hold it up bright, it's still gonna shine mostly dark, mostly around, just around your feet. And so I think sometimes with light, we have a problem when we start shining, trying to shine our, our light onto other people first. And then we trip around. My brother told me that, that it's, it's really difficult to, to move around in the dark woods in North Carolina where he's at uh, without uh, tripping if you're gonna hold the light and try to shine your light for somebody else. And it's much better to shine our light on our own stuff. Um, in fact, shining, trying to shine a light on somebody else is, is a form of judgment. Uh, Romans 2, 1 and 2 says, Therefore you have no excuse, everyone of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself, for who you judge practice the same things. That's pretty crazy, tough words to hear. But man, we first need to go back to that Psalm 119, 105. Just shine a light on our own path. Allow God to, do, to, to see the light first so that we can walk without stumbling and falling first and um, be able to judge ourselves first. In fact, there is, there is a need to judge others, but what's the best way to judge somebody? Thinking, whoa, what kind of territory are you stepping into today? The best way to judge somebody is if they invite judgment. Does that make sense? I'm going to clarify that a little more. But if somebody says, hey, I need your advice. I need your discernment. That's inviting judgment. And that's a good thing. We need judgment, right? We need to know what's right and wrong. Sometimes we don't know what's right or wrong in our own hearts and we need somebody else. But the best way to judge somebody is if they invite you to. All right. Tracking with me so far. And I crack, crack my notes open too, so that'll be very helpful so that I don't uh, get out of track, off, off track. But um. So we have the lights on, but we need more than just light. We need correction to our vision. So I go to the eye doctor, you know, every year like you should. And uh, the, one of the things you notice is the eye chart. Eye chart's very well lit. So light isn't the problem to see the eye chart. The problem is our vision, all right? So you've heard probably, if you've gone to the eye doctor before, of some, some problems that need corrected. And there's two, uh, nearsightedness, Farsightedness, there's others, but those are kind of the two main categories of things, all right? So the chart that we see, and I, I wear contacts now, so I, I'm, my vision's corrected, but before my vision's corrected, it's really blurry. I can see light, I can see a blob of light, right? But it's really, really blurry. Um, and so we need to be corrected. And in my particular case, I had nearsightedness, which means that you can see just fine things close to hand. I can read without my glasses or contacts and I can see, um, but I can't see far away without glasses or contacts. And I think about the concept of nearsightedness when vision is that we're too concerned with the present, too concerned with the present pleasures with no view of things of eternal value. We can't see far away, so we're only looking at things close at hand. Maybe you've heard a phrase like, or thought this, like I'm fine with where I'm at, or I like my toys where I'm at right now. First um, John 2.16 says this, for all that is in the world, the present, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And so 
The word lust, you know, we typically uh, think of that in the category of like a sexual sin, but really it's wanting anything that's forbidden to us. So it's more than just a sexual sin, it's, it's anything that's forbidden. So for example, I can desire my wife, that's not lust, but desiring someone else's wife, that's lust. And of the flesh means forbidden things that make me feel good. So anything that's forbidden to me is that, uh, is bad. Anything that is and desiring or lust of the eyes rather forbidden things that look good to me. You know, we can look around the world. Other translations translate this verse as like look wanting, wanting, uh, um, trying to think of the word to say wanting, you know, to be uh, exalted, wanting to have power, prestige, those kind of things. Wants to have popularity. Those things look good to the eye. They feel good to be popular. But all these things, First uh, John says, are of the world. They're not of God. Um, the pride of life is a. I looked up the definition of pride of life. It's an impious, or in other words, not humble view and trust the stability of earthly things. This morning we had a prayer, but there's a, there's a concept, there's a phrase that kept coming up during prayer about being shaken, right? And so we, when we say that we have the pride of life, it's the really trusting the world systems are not gonna shake, which as we know, you know, the past couple of years, there's been a lot of shaking going on. I think it happens all the time, really, uh, but there's always shaking. And so we're always in a place of not trusting who we, not, not trusting in the world systems, not, but trusting in God. And so that's the, the correction First John brings to us. It's a vision correction, allows us to see beyond just our close at hand vision and allows us to see beyond that, all right? So I think the opposite can happen too, where we're not just focused on the pleasures near at hand, but also uh, with pain. And I think about it this way, that we can have a certain amount of acceptance with distance. We can have an acceptance with like, uh, I'm, I'm fine just, just uh, only knowing you a little bit. Um, having shallow friend group, like I'm fine with spend, hanging out with you. We're not going to go very deep though. We're going to be fine with talking about the weather and the sports teams and games, but I'm not going to talk to you about my stuff. I don't want to get that real with you. Yeah, I think even marriages can be like that too, where you kind of tolerate a little bit of distance. Like you guys are your, your roommates and you get along really well because we don't deal with that big elephant in the room. We don't deal with that issue. And so sometimes being nearsighted means that you're just kind of, you're in your own little world and you're cool with that and you're not willing to move further and actually take steps to, to have a vision for your marriage, to see it beyond just being a roommate, beyond just being a housemate, beyond just uh, surviving. So both of those ways, you know, the pleasures or the pains, it's centered on self, it's centered on the things that are close at hand. Um, it's being okay with the status quo. You know, nah, it's, it's not really, uh, it's, it's kind of toleration. I shared this with Warren earlier, we were talking about some things they are kind of like, yeah, sometimes we're okay with just tolerating things, right? If you think about that, like just tolerating, you know, a pain you have in your heart, a pain you have in your life, and you say, I'm, ah, I'm surviving. I'm not, it's not the best thing, but I'm, I'm getting through it. Um, you know, and that's being nearsighted sometimes is saying, I'm just gonna be acceptant of the fact that I'm gonna be in pain. I'm happy with, I'm not happy with things where things are at, but it's satisfactory. I don't wanna rock the boat on my own life. Um, you know, so there's, there's kind of that, if you think about it with a nearsighted vision of God, we kind of see God in a blurry distance, right? If we're nearsighted, we're, we're, we, we don't see who he is. And so we have a vague outline of what he looks like. 
when we say phrases like God is good, like I think that's that vague outline. And as we get our vision corrected, we begin to see him sharper and more in focus. God hasn't changed at all, but our perception of him has for sure. And then we, we can now see him and the sharper our vision gets, I believe the more specific um, he gives us vision for things. Like even, even a vision that says, I know what's gonna happen in the future, that kind of vision because we have our eyes sharpened. All right, so one of the, there's a couple of scriptures I have in mind. You know, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God set eternity on our hearts. So we were made to have farsighted vision too. It wasn't just a, a dream. We were, God put that in our hearts. Uh, Colossians 3.2, this is how we correct our nearsightedness. It says, to set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So stop walking around like this, but to set your mind Set your eyes, set your vision to things that are above, not on things on the earth. Romans 8, 6 says this, um, for to be carnally minded is death, fleshly minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So or the, the way I like it and the way I memorize it, for the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Even the math there, they look at that the mindset on flesh is death, one thing right? But the mindset on spirit is life and peace. I love that. It's really cool. It's not just one thing. It's a double. You get double your value to allow yourself to be set on things that are above. So back to my eye doctor. My eye doctor, I love him. He's Dr. Match in Halifax. He's down there a little bit. He's a really good guy. He plays keyboard, by the way. So we talk about keyboards and all that stuff while he's working on my eyes, which is kind of cool. So he told me to take um, breaks from working at the computer or reading. He said that if you work at a job that requires you to look at the computer screen a lot, every 20 to 30 minutes or an hour even, he said, stop what you're doing on the computer and focus your eyes on something further away. He said 10 or 15 or 20 feet away, even further, like outside, go walk outside and take a look in the distance and see. And it was a vision exercise, like kind of like you can train your eyes to, um, see further. And he said, do that because your eyes get kind of focused on the near things and they get stuck that way. And so that causes strain to your eyes and it's better to balance your vision out by looking further away. All right. So I don't want to just dump scripture on without, dump scripture on you without giving you something to do. So here's a spiritual exercise. Have you exercised your distance vision? at all. And what does that mean to exercise your distance vision spiritually? All right. It means to look out from beyond the present, not just the present, um, like the physical present, but the present is in present time. Have you set your mind on things that are above? Have you, have you set your heart on things that are eternal and not just present? So to me, that, that means that, yeah, it's a good time of the year to talk about vision, because we're starting a new year. There is something about uh, January 1, 2024, because it's a new year date on the calendar, and we get in our souls even as uh, like a second chance. We're like, I have a second chance of doing this again. I can do, take what I did last year and go further. And so I would encourage you, perhaps there's a time where you're gonna go to the prayer room even to, to seek God as you're praying and beholding him to have a far-sighted vision, to see beyond your present and ask God to give you a far-sighted vision, exercise your distance vision to see farther. Um, so that's nearsightedness. The other flip side of nearsightedness is farsightedness. All right, so farsightedness is something where you, can, you can't see 
the present. You can't see what's close to you, but you can see pretty far ahead. Um, and, um, you know, farsightedness, I, I see it like this, like too concerned with a ticket to heaven. You ever heard of that? Or seeing the church like a club uh, or it can become a way where we emphasize gifts and manifestations of God over and to the exclusion of relationship and humility. It can often look like uh, just me and Jesus. I'm doing my own thing, just me and Jesus. So the temptation here is, is kind of crazy because we're saying, oh God, I'm, I'm really holy. I've been reading the Bible. I've been in the prayer room a lot with you and I'm doing all these things. And you're like, wait a second, isn't it all good? Yeah, it's good. Ecclesiastes 7, 16 said this, and Megan, I didn't put this in, the, in there for you this morning, but Ecclesiastes 7, 16 says, don't be overly righteous. Wait, that's in the Bible? I had to look at that and I was like wrestling with that. How, what does that mean to not be overly righteous? I don't think that God's saying you shouldn't be spend more than one hour a week in the prayer room or don't go to church more than two hours a week for three hours a week is overly righteous. I don't think it's what he was talking about. I think that was the wisdom of Solomon reflecting upon the fact that we can get so heavenly minded or so, no earthly good is how the saying goes. And let me clarify that a little more. First Corinthians 13 I'm a wedding photographer. I hear this almost every wedding, which is awesome because it's so, so true to hear. But the first couple of verses say this. If I speak with tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And not the good kind like Noah plays, but the bad kind. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Have you ever thought about how crazy those words really are? Like look at any of those things in that scripture. If I speak in tongues of mankind and of angels, don't have love. I don't know about you, but I want to be able to speak in tongues. I want to have the full manifestation. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge and have faith that can move mountains, that would be pretty cool to have faith that can move mountains. And I believe God asks us and wants us to contend for that. But without love, I'm nothing. Not even a little bit, I'm nothing. I give all my possessions to charity and surrender my body. Like if I become a martyr, but don't have love, guess what? I'm still nothing. How do I summarize that? In other words, my vision of God should influence and change who I am right now, like the nearness and not just the farsightedness, right? So I think that's what Ecclesiastes 7 was talking about when he said, don't be overly righteous because sometimes we can get in this mentality if you're farsighted or if you get farsighted to think only about heavenly, heavenly things and don't allow what's in heaven to come to earth. And I think it's why Jesus in, his, in the Lord's prayer, when he, saw, when he told the disciples to pray, he said, on earth as it already is in heaven. So we're to become, we're to be an answer to that prayer. Not just to pray for, we're to be the answer to that prayer. You know, 1 John three eighteen and 19 says this, little children, let's not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Here's the comfort in this too. We will know by this that we are of the truth and we'll set our heart at ease before him. So if you've ever doubted that you're in Christ, if you've ever doubted that you're loved by him, that you're accepted by him, even that your faith is real, 
There's an answer here, right here in the scripture. We'll know that we are of the truth and we'll assure our heart before him. What will we do? We love not with word or tongue, but indeed in truth. And so it's almost like we have to step out indeed in truth first. And then our hearts will receive what we were craving, which is that acceptance and reality. So there's a, there's a, a truth there where, um, you know, we have to step out in, in vision. We have to say, okay, God, I see you clearly in the far. I see you clearly, your heavenly truth and promises, but I'm gonna step out right now in the present. I'm gonna step out right now and, and be loved to somebody else. And then the doubts that we have in our hearts will be erased as we know, hey, I'm doing this. I'm loving and I'm not a clanging gong or a symbol like that. So are you guys with me so far? Yeah, so um, now in the fourth grade, it was the first time I realized that I had really bad vision. All right, I, I remember pretty distinctly is uh, Miss Skelly, wasn't it, Miss Skelly? Yeah, she, uh, she commented to my mom on a parent, com- parent conference rather that, yeah, Todd seems to, to not uh, be able to read the Borgs. He keeps getting closer, closer to the front of the room. He has to be seated at front. And I couldn't, I couldn't read the, the chalkboard at all. And so when I went to the eye doctor, good old Dr. Match in Halifax, and he's not paying me by the way for that, but he's just a good guy. Um, he, he, uh, he checked my vision to a standard, right? That charts. A chart's a standard. And so he compared my ability to read the chart on the wall with the 2020 standard, and I had fallen short, right? My vision had fallen short. So we can tell when we're nearsighted or farsighted when we apply our vision to the standard. What's the standard? So the verses I just read are some good start, right? First Corinthians 13. So we shouldn't only check that we can speak in tongues or prophesy or have heavenly wisdom, but also that we have love. So that's a standard chart that we can look at. Do I have love in this case or am I just speaking prophecy? Because man, we can sometimes be good at that, right? We're, we're a charismatic church. We love the gifts of the spirit, which is fantastic, but gotta have love too. So not just reading the big E on the chart, but also all the letters underneath that. All right, so... <clears throat> The cool thing, and this is the challenging thing, is that when I first put on glasses at the eye doctor, my whole world changed. It was like night and day. I remember walking out of the eye doctor, I'm like, mind blown. I can't even, I can't, I thought I could see well before, but I can see way better now. Everything was sharper. Everything was in focus. It seemed like even the colors popped more, all because I got those glasses. And in order to put on, um, in order to remission the change at the time, I had to put on my glasses. Now I had to put in my contacts. And that reminds me of Ephesians 4, 24, which is our goal is to put on our new self, which is the likeness of God. Um, and be, sorry, put on new self, which is in the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. So I thought about this and I, I wrote it for you. We put on our new selves and to our new selves, become ourselves, all right? So now, like when I first put on glasses, when somebody first gets glasses, you're like, whoa, you look different too. Like looking at somebody else, you're like, your whole appearance changes, right? And that's just me looking at somebody else with glasses on, not, not including you know, the fact that I can see better, but we need to try it on. It's gonna be different, you know? So Colossians three twelve gives us a list of things to put on. Uh, heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, um, eyeglasses from the eye doctor that I got did no good if they st- stayed in my pocket. They, they wouldn't do any good um, because they, they weren't on my face. 
So just like I need to put on eyeglasses, I need to put on these things that Colossians 3.12 says, all that patience to make external actions match the internal and change in my heart towards God. So like that passage in 1 John, sometimes we need to step out and do things even when we don't feel like it. Have you ever, have you ever felt, well, this is, sounds going to sound very obvious, but it's easy to love when you love that person, right? You know, when you're, when you're feeling, when you're at honeymoon stage of a relationship, you're like, I'm going to serve you forever. I love you. You know, bring breakfast in bed, all that stuff. It's much harder to serve somebody you think of as an enemy, right? Um, and so there's a concept where we have to put on, we have to try it on for size. We have to put those glasses on, even if we don't feel like it and allow it to work. And First John says we have comfort to our heart. That actually is a comfort to us uh, from doing those things first before we even feel it. So let's do that. Let's put these things on before, put these things on. And another truth about eyeglasses is the first time I put the glasses on, um, I actually, you know, I was seeing things sharper. I was seeing a whole new world. The colors were popping. It was wonderful. But I also felt kind of dizzy. Anybody else who ever put glasses on for the first time feel that way? I found out it's pretty common actually where um, you're not used to seeing that well. And so I remember like putting them on even as I was amazed that I could read signs that were 100 feet away. I was like walking and it was like messing with my vision because my depth perception had changed. I was looking down and seeing things. It was like the ground was like further away or closer. Um, We should expect some disorientation when we put glasses on physical glasses, right? But also spiritually, when we start trying these new things, it's going to feel weird and that's okay. It's okay to allow it to be weird as long as we don't stop doing what we're doing. As long as we don't go to those, that list in Colossians and stop being patient, stop being humble. It's going to feel really weird at first, but let's keep doing it. Let's keep doing it. Let's keep doing it. It becomes natural, So back to that phrase, put on our new selves until our new selves become ourselves. If your new self is is humble and that's even weird to your friends, you're like, who is this guy? He's suddenly loving again. He's patient. What happened to the old guy? No, keep doing that so it becomes natural in you. And yeah, just like physically speaking, our eyeglasses, we become used to them now. Now it's natural to put them on and we're like, I feel weird with the glasses off. And so that's the same thing that can happen in the kingdom of God is that we can become naturally, supernatural, can happen naturally. Um, so we're getting better vision. We're allowing our vision to be corrected by God's standard. It's, we've got to allow it to happen. Um, and a beautiful story of this is in Acts 9. I don't have the scripture up, but I'm just going to paraphrase it for you. Acts 9 says, a man from Damascus named Ananias, he receives a vision from the Lord. It's a scary one. Um, Go find the dude that's been arresting and killing all your friends, who's been like the enforcer for the mafia, and go pray for him, all right? Who's the dude? If you know scripture, it's Saul, otherwise known as Paul, as in the apostle Paul, all right? So just think about this for, for a second. It's easy to read a scripture like that, it's much harder to put ourselves in the shoes of somebody like Ananias and think about what that actually means. All right, so we have this guy who's been charged by the government to go out and hunt Christians down, and he's pretty good at it. 
He's very good at it. And he knows how to arrest people. He knows how to disrupt. And he's been doing it a lot so much that he has a reputation for it, all right? He's well-known in the area as a guy who's willing to travel and hunt Christians down and be a disruptor of the faith, of this new faith. Paul had, uh, Jesus hadn't, hadn't resurrected very long before Paul came into the picture, or Saul, that is, the enforcer to disrupt. It seemed like the, the enemy was winning again because here was Saul, um, you know, overseeing executions. He was overseeing arrests and all this stuff. All right, so it was in that context that Ananias literally receives a vision. He receives a revelation from God to go pray for this person, go pray for this man. So there wasn't a moment, or I'm sure there was a moment rather that Ananias was doubting the vision. God, are you sure about this? Sure you want me to go see Saul, isn't it like signing my own death warrant? Because I'm a Christian. I believe in you, Jesus, and I don't, I don't want to go. But Ananias wasn't nearsighted, right? He wasn't just concerned about the comfort and peace of where he was at right now. He wasn't just concerned with the status quo. Ah, things are all right the way they are. Me and Jesus were doing great. No, he, he was able to step out of his prayer closet, right? Because he was in, been in prayer and was obedient to go and visit Paul. So when you think about this, Paul um, wasn't, um, or sorry, Ananias' vision not only impacted his eternity, Ananias' eternity, but changed the very present life of Paul. So he was not nearsighted, but he wasn't farsighted either, right? He was willing to step out of this vision that he was having with God and go be, go be the hand of God to Paul. And not only that, but if you read that scripture and you can look at it some other time, but he also imparted a vision and a revelation into Paul's life. It says that Paul, that Ananias was saying, Paul, I'm not only gonna touch your, touch your eyes and allow you to see again. Paul had been blinded by a vision of God. That Jesus had come to him and appeared to him in the street on the road to Damascus and had blinded Paul with a bright light, right? So he was blind. So Ananias not only prayed that he'd receive healing, which he did. So it says something like fish scales came out of his eyes. So he could see again. But Ananias also imparted vision into Paul. It's recorded in the scripture that, that Ananias said, Paul, here's what you're gonna do now. You did this before, here's what you're gonna do now. And so the challenge for us, and I, I say it meaning that we should do it, is to be an Ananias today. Be an Ananias to a Paul or Saul in our lives. And you probably don't have to think very hard about who that person is. Now, we don't have a lot of people that are persecuting Christians in that way in America. We are blessed. But I'm saying there's a person you can speak to to impart vision into somebody's life, to, to see and raise them up. I think of another story of that, and I don't have time to dive into it fully, but Mordecai to Esther, same thing. Mordecai saw that Esther was in a place for such a time as this is the scripture phrase, and he imparted vision to her. He, he encouraged her, said, you can do this. So if you see somebody who has a vision, maybe they have a personal vision that you can see, encourage them in that today, and be an Ananias, be a Mordecai to that vision. Allow yourself to step into that. So there's nearsightedness, there's farsightedness. There's another part of vision that I want to jump into as well. And that's this phrase when I heard more about vision after I started driving a car. My mom and dad were teaching me how to drive. And um, I was preparing to merge onto the highway for the first time. My dad said this phrase, check your, I heard somebody say it. 
I had blind spot was what I was going for. I think somebody over here said it. Thank you. Yeah, no, it wasn't like a test or anything, but um, check your blind spot, right? So what's a blind spot in the car? We know like a blind spot in the car is like the area on the driver's side back a little bit where you can't really see without a mirror, right? Um, or it's on the other side. And so my dad was telling me wisely that when I was trying to merge onto the highway, I got to turn my head and see to make sure there's no cars coming that I'm not going to run into that car. Now, humanly speaking, we don't carry wide angle mirrors around a whole lot. So who helps us with our blind spots besides Jesus? Yeah, our spouses. My, my wife says spouse. Is that a hint? I don't, it probably is, no. Um, but <clears throat> our friends, the people around us, help us with our blind spot. So humanly speaking, the best way to avoid blind spots is to surround yourself with people who are seeing things differently than you are. So that's, that should come without saying, but if you have people around you, right, if you're in a group of people, just by the fact that they are three or four feet away from you, physically speaking, they're going to see things differently than you are. Um, but I, should, I say this out loud differently than you are because sometimes we can surround ourselves with people that think like us and see things like us. And that becomes a place of comfort, like a nearsightedness, right? Because, you know, I'm never going to have an answer I disagree with or be uncomfortable because everybody around me is like the yes person, the yes man, we say, you know, so we have to be intentional to surround ourselves with people who are seeing things differently. And by that, I mean that there could be a tendency to internalize our faith, um, to make it, um, to make it just about us. Like I said, the phrase, just me and Jesus, we're doing our thing. You know, a, uh, a recent president actually said, and I'm going to paraphrase, he said, my walk with Jesus is just between him and I. And there's a truth to that. Don't get me wrong. There's a truth to, yeah, I want to have a personal relationship with Jesus, but my personal relationship with Jesus should affect everything around me, not just myself internally that nobody can see. Like I should be able to see that you're a Christian. Um, but the tendency is that we have, we think that our faith is just for me and we can become like the Lone Ranger, right? Even Lone Ranger wasn't really alone. He had Tonto, right? That was the name of him, Craig? Tonto? Yeah. All right. Yeah. So Thank you, Craig, for making sure I got that one right. Um, but, you know, there's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. Well, we can try. There is such thing. We can try and fail at it, but we need to surround ourselves. And one of the scriptures that has wrecked me recently is 1 Corinthians 2.16. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. So the part that gets me is the we part, Right? Um, just rest on that for a second. I, I don't have the mind of Christ. You don't have the mind of the Christ. But we do. We, we do. All of us here, we have the mind of Christ. Um, so to illustrate that, I want to jump into the book of Revelation. You're like, whoa, we're going there. Yes, we are. Going to Revelation. The book of Revelation, you know, vision equals revelation. Really, the book of Revelation is about a vision. Like literally, John, the apostle John had a vision 
and he wrote it down. And it's a crazy vision, all right? There's lots of weird stuff going on. In fact, when I was studying this earlier this week and I was having Kieran draw a picture of some of the, the weird things that are in Revelation, I wish I would have brought it because it's pretty cool looking. But he was dry, drawing the flaming eyes of Jesus. Um, it was special. Um, but so John had a vision, a literal vision, but it was a vision for the future and the present, but it's a vision of Jesus, really. Um, but this is in Revelation 2, 8 through 20, and you can look at the scripture later on if you'd like to, but I'm gonna turn to it myself. If you'd like to turn to it, you can follow along with me. But, um, sorry, at the beginning of chapter, end of chapter one, there's a whole bunch of John sees Jesus. All right, let me just read, read you some of the things that are describing Jesus. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. This is Jesus talking to, to John, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Then later on, a couple of scriptures down, he says to John, Jesus says to John, write these things down, and this is what I'm gonna show you. And so here's what John saw in his vision. This is the end of chapter one. Um, he saw in the middle of lampstands the, the, the one like a son of man clothed in a robe reaching to the feet and wrapped around the chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. Already kind of crazy, flame of fire, not, not usual to have with eyes. His feet were like burnished bronze and burnishment is, a, is polished, so bright glowing feet which have been heated to a glow in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, this is John speaking, I fell at his feet like a dead man and he placed his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one and I was dead and behold, I'm alive forevermore and I have the keys to death and of Hades. Therefore, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after these things. All right, then he says the seven stars and the, which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the churches. So there's an angel in charge of these churches, each church, and the seven lampstands are seven churches. So you're like, why did you just read that to us? Let me explain for a second. This is really awesome. Y'all have probably heard, if you've been um, studying the word of God or listened to, to preachers, you know, talk about the seven churches that John, uh, that Jesus had a vision for, right? That John wrote down. The seven churches, you know, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, um, Sardis, Philadelphia, not Karen, Philly, but a different Philadelphia still, and, and Laodicea, all right? Seven churches there. And this gets me every time because I've looked at a lot of sermons for this and I, it's always, we concentrate on what the, the scriptures tell the, the, um, the assessment that Jesus has of each of the churches, right? You're, you're doing this and you're good, but you gotta do it this way, right? And he kind of does that, but there's a cool little thing at the very beginning of each message to each church. And this is this, and I have had these in colors. So follow along if you can. And then we split it over a couple slides so you can see it. But the message to Ephesus to the angel of the church in Ephesus, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold, gold lampstands says this, all right? Message to Smyrna, angel of the Lord, church in Smyrna, the first and the last who was dead has come to life, says this. So they're all talking about Jesus, but look at how they're describing him. The one who has a sharp two-edged sword says this, that's in per to Pergamum, 
to Thyatira, he says, the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze, all right? And then to the church of Sardis, he says, um, Jesus who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, and then the message to Philadelphia, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one will open, says this. Finally, to the message of Laodicea, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of the creation of God, says this. And if you catch the picture here, the picture is that John had a complete revelation of who Jesus was. But then to each of the churches, they were given a, a little portion of it, right? And this blows my mind. If you're in the worship team, you've probably heard me say this before, but that's the beauty of why when we, we talk about we having the mind of Christ, that's the reality of it, is that each of us, like the, each of those churches in Revelation, have just a little bit of Jesus. And by that, it's, a, it's still a lot, but I mean, relatively speaking, we have a little bit of Jesus, which is why we need each other to be around. We can't do this on our own. We need, we need more people, uh, all of us, to, be, to bring the full picture of who Jesus is, all right? And so that scripture in Revelation, I know that was lengthy and I wanted to, I won't apologize for that. It's good to dive into that and say that, yeah, we need to look at the, the full revelation of who Jesus is. So take the time to find people who surround you. And I love that picture even of seven, right? Whatever there's seven in scripture, what does it mean? It means complete wholeness, right? So Jesus was saying this will challenge us perhaps of our, our uh, theology that we need the whole church not even just Hillside, but the whole church. That means the church down the road that we disagree with, right? Or that you disagree with. We need the whole church. So none of, none of the churches have the whole revelation, which is why I plug for January 21st, community worship. It's pretty awesome. And it's a sight of heaven on earth because it is the whole church, or at least more of the church gathering together. And man, isn't that an awesome picture when we can be unified together um, and see the more of the whole Jesus. So um, in order not to have any blind spots, we need others in our life. This is summarize the whole thing. And I, maybe I would even expand it. In order to see all of Jesus, we need to have more, more people in our life, have other people in our life. So here's a, a concept um, that would be helpful for you. Do you want to make it easy to have a full revelation of Jesus? I do. I want to make it easy. Invite others to view your blind spots. Invite others to speak into your life. This is where I said earlier about judging. You can invite others to judge you. That seems kind of scary. It is. It's kind of scary to say, will you judge me? But it's, it's a truth that we need the judgment of God through other people. And that's okay. Um, it's okay to, and it's much easier to speak into somebody's life when they invite you to, right? Um, you know, we can do that with our spouses. We can do that with close friends. We can do that parent to children. Man, that's, talk about closeness. When you can say as a father or, or as a mother, you can say, kids, do you see anything wrong in how I'm doing this? And listen to them. Man, that's mind-blowing, but it's, it's hardcore and it's unifying together. And so when we invite people to judge, we're allowing God to speak through other people and we're eliminating blind spots so we don't get uh, run over on the highway when we try to, to merge. Um, so, um, and I wrote this down too. If you'd like to have write, write, write notes down, ask others what they are seeing in you and ask others how they are seeing Jesus too. So you're seeing other people's revelation and you're expanding your own view of who Jesus is. And it's good stuff. Um, 
So I kind of want to want to um, bring it back again. So if you picture, you know, blind spot, right? You picture people around a circle, um, you know, and having the perspective of Jesus. This may sound like a, an obvious thing, but we've actually, we actually all have to be looking at Jesus in order to have a perspective of him, a different perspective. Um, because we can look at something else and have a perspective on that other thing and, uh, and um, be entirely wrong, missing the point of who Jesus is. Um, so let me explain that. If that's, uh, yeah, I'll just explain it this way. So the elders of the church, we meet monthly, uh, pretty much monthly, and, and we have a practice of uh, coming together and beholding Jesus before we start the meeting, the business part of the meeting. Um, and it's, it's a, it can be really challenging to come into a, a elders meeting because you know the weight of the decisions you're going to make. Uh, oftentimes we're talking about issues that need to be resolved. And I, I find personally, and I, this has been my experience asking other people, whenever there's a meeting like this, it's spiritually centered. There's a heaviness walking into it. And it's because there's spiritual warfare about the meeting that's going to take place. Maybe you've had this experience, if you're not an elder, of just coming into a spiritual meeting, like you and your spouse, you know, coming in to, to start to reconcile where there's a heaviness where you're like, I don't really want to do this. I don't feel it in my heart. I don't want to do this. I don't want to resolve this at all right now because it just, it feels yucky. And that's a spiritual uh, weights. And so we as the elders recognize this, that we've got to um, not only have unity, right, but be unified around the person of Jesus. Um, and it's really important as, as elders of a church, we could be unified about building the numbers, about, uh, you know, building a church that's fun. We could be about building a bigger church. You know, those are all the things we could be huddled around unity wise. But man, if we could be unified at what's that? Oh, so that's a message over there. But we could be unified about um, Jesus. Then there's power and there's strength and um, we can truly function. And the reality is the heavy issues suddenly seem so much lighter. They, they do. It's crazy. I will step, I'll walk into a meeting. I'm like, I'm, I'm dreading this. I'm just, I'm just feeling heavy. I've had a rough day. It always seems like the days that we have meetings are the roughest days. Isn't that interesting, huh? That the days that we're gonna dive into something spiritual that God is, is um, there's, there's a, there's demonic attacks, there's spiritual attacks on us. But when we step into that place, and oftentimes we'll even spend like, you know, more of the meeting beholding Jesus and we'll actually the business stuff. But we find that when we take that time to behold Jesus and surround and get our perspectives fixed on him, that the meeting becomes much easier, much lighter. Um, and so what am I saying is that be intentional in finding people who behold Jesus and behold the, but behold them differently than you do. That's the beauty of it. When you're around a circle, I'm not gonna see the same Jesus that the other person sees, and that's okay, and that's wonderful, and that's amazing. Um, and this is a shameless plug for a morning prayer on Sunday mornings, because that's hap- that happens all the time on, during morning prayer. We'll come in, and we've we all work different jobs. Uh, we all have had different experiences during the week, and we all see things differently, but somehow there's a unity and a beauty that comes when we pray together. So if you've never done that before, morning prayer is pretty awesome. Um, and maybe all this picture of unity is depressing because you say, well, the church with a capital C isn't really like this, is it? And that's a, that's a truth. The, the church with a capital C is often not unified like this. And there's, whenever there's a vision problem, vision has to, has to start with us first. Uh, Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, 5 to take care of the log in our own eye before we take care of the speck in our brother's eye. 
You ever thought about how Jesus must have said that and people would be like gasping? But I think he was sitting with a twinkle in his eye and maybe a smile on his face because we're, we can't physically have a log in our eyes, right? But he was saying a, a bigger point is that sometimes the log, it is a log in our own eyes affecting us more so than that speck in the other person's eye. Um, so the question is, um, you know, what are you beholding? Are you actually beholding Jesus in that, around that circle? Are you staring at the right thing? Um, I walked into a cheesecake factory a couple years ago and they, they do this. I know they do it intentionally, but the cheesecake factory has the cheesecakes right at front, right? So you walk into the cheesecake factory and there's a huge, massive display case of cheesecakes. There's like dozens, maybe 30 different cheesecakes, anything you can think of they have there. And you can hardly think about what you're going to have for lunch or for dinner because you're thinking about the cheesecake, right? So I've beholded the cheesecake and I've thought about, I don't want to have my pasta meal, my other carbs. I want to have the cheesecake. I'm just going to skip to dessert and have the cheesecake. Um, And sometimes we can be like that where we behold something and we can't think of anything else. I think that's a nearsightedness too, but it can be a farsight thing too. We, um, can't think of anything else. We're just fixed on that. You know, it, it could be a goal that's that's gotten misplaced. You know, uh, if you're an athlete in high school, you're thinking all I want to do is go after being a professional athlete. So I'm going to work and do whatever it takes to become a, a pro athlete. That's all I'm beholding. I'm not saying those things are wrong, but just uh, we've got to be careful that we're staring at the right thing. The other thing is I think we can get like spiritual ADHD where we're like staring at every little thing. And we're becoming so distracted with, I think uh, an author, and I forget his name, says there's a tyranny of the urgent, right? Where we have the word bouncing around every little thing instead of looking at one thing, Jesus. So I want to end, and the words everybody loves, um, with, with this scripture, looking at, marinating on this scripture for a little bit. This is 2 Corinthians 3.18. And it says, but we all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So what are we to look at? Just look at that scripture with me for a little bit. What are we to look at? Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We're supposed to look at the glory of the Lord like we look at a mirror. Now, I know it's silly because my boys in the morning don't look at the mirror enough and I have to wipe the chocolate from their pancake off their mouth before they got on the bus. But most of us do a pretty good job looking at ourselves in the mirror in the morning to make sure we're presentable, right? Um, So I think that picture there is that we should stare a lot, not at ourselves, but at Jesus. Behold the glory of the Lord. We linger, we wait, we spend time in that place. And what aren't we looking at? We're not looking at our own problems. We're not looking at our own achievements. We're just looking at Jesus, the glory of the Lord. Um, so the word there, uh, we with unveiled faces beholding, the word beholding there is present tense. So let that sink in for a second. We don't rest on our past vision of Jesus. So we don't rest upon the, the vision that I got of him yesterday or, the, or a year ago. We rest on the present vision of Jesus. And we don't even rest on the future promise of it. We rest on him right now. We do so right now. We behold him right now. So we're not promising Jesus tomorrow I'm going to behold you. I don't have time for you today. No, we take some time right now and behold him. So the next scripture there, or next phrase, being transformed 
into the same image. So being transformed, and I love verbs, I love uh, English, and it says it's a, it, the phrase, the tense is present passive, present passive, and you're saying, I'm not a word nerd, what does it actually mean? It just means we allow Jesus to change us. So Hannah for my birthday a couple weeks ago got me a massage, and at one point the massage therapist, I'm there on the table, she's working on me, she's like, stop fighting. I'm like, I don't even know that I'm fighting. I wasn't like punching her, obviously, but she was like, stop fighting. And what she meant was that uh, as she was working on my muscles, she was working on my, my calves, I think at the time, and my, I was unconsciously fighting back and she wasn't, I wasn't, she wasn't able to move my leg to work on the part of the muscle to get it to relax the way she should. So she said jokingly, stop fighting me, but it really stuck with me there because here I was, and don't we get this way sometimes spiritually where we, we try to fight the change of God. We try to fight that transformation. And God has, God's telling us the word for the church in this hour is to stop fighting him and allow ourselves to be worked on, right? And I found, and we, this is a truth that we'll find, that if we allow God to work on us, if we become passive and just lay there in his presence, it actually gets done quicker, I know if we fight him. And it happened, it was, a, it was a reality in that massage that if I was willing to stop fighting and let the massage therapist do her thing, man, I felt great afterwards because of me and all I had to do was lay there and just receive. So stop fighting God and relax. Allow him to change you. And Corey um, isn't here today. I don't think, no, Corey Adams had that great word a few weeks ago when Pastor Steve was talking about strongholds. And he talked about how the one thing they got with him is that we had to be patient with ourselves. Have you ever gotten impatient with God about a change you know you need to do? And you're like, God, I just wish you'd take this right away. Um, we have to be patient with ourselves. Corey, that was this, hope you, if you listen to this message, hope you receive that as such a word from God. That you, that's, we need to be patient with ourselves and with God. So the same thing, at the, at the massage a few weeks ago, you know, I, was, I was there being worked on and the massage therapist was like, wow, that muscle's really tight. And this muscle was so much weaker than the other side and, and so on. And so she was giving me exercises I could try. And I'm a runner, so some of them are related to running. And so my wife's going to laugh at me, but I got gung-ho about wanting to change. And so I started immediately doing these exercises. And you'll laugh, but one of them was like, if you run forward all the time, you got to run backwards a little bit to balance it out. This is a massage therapist. And, and so I was like gung-ho. I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, I run like, uh, um, you know, 25 miles a week. And so I'm going to try to run five miles a week backwards. And that sounds as crazy as it is. All right. So I almost ran into somebody on the street doing that. But that wasn't the worst part about it. All right. Picture me running backwards. I get smirks, I know. But... I was running backwards so much too soon that now the muscles, the new muscles that I was exercising and running backwards started to hurt more than the old muscles that were feeling better now. So I, I like compounded the problem instead of correcting the imbalance slowly, instead of being patient with my body, letting my body adjust, you know, I was ready to, I literally was running into the next problem of, of muscle soreness and you know my leg my leg's still not feeling 100% because I was like so in a rush to get fixed yeah. alright and that's not to say that when we're patient with God that we're not doing anything right. we are working towards we are allowing God actively to work in our hearts so I'm not just sitting there in a comfort a, a tolerable a tolerance of my pain I'm saying God I'm allowing you to work 
but I'm gonna keep, I'm gonna allow you to do your thing in your time. I wish, knowing three weeks ago, I probably shouldn't have started running backwards five miles in a week. I probably should have, like, did a couple of little exercises. My wife's shaking my head, or shaking her head because she knows that I do that, that I go crazy about something and think it's, but that, we can't be crazy like that. Don't be like me. And, you know, allow yourself to be patient. Allow yourself to work in that way. So, um, 2024 should be a year of setting and reaching goals, but before we set or reach any other goal, that's your goal will be the glory of Jesus, that same image, right? Just look at that for a second. Um, you know, the same image of God from glory to glory, asking the Lord, same image. We're to be like Jesus and not to be in the sense of like, we've got to work ourselves that way, but no, just stare at Jesus. And that's how we be like Jesus. The word, the phrase glory to glory, that's wrecking me a lot too. Glory to glory means that you start with glory and you go to glory, all right? And you're saying, well, that's pretty obvious. Come on, it's three words, glory, from glory to glory. But what does that mean? It means that right now you're glorious. Just let that sink in for a second. Right, right now you are glorious. No, that doesn't mean that you're not sinful. Doesn't mean that you don't have issues. Just means that you're glorious right now, all right? We judge ourselves so harshly, but what we do or we don't do. We critique our appearance physically, but also spiritually, how we look to others, right? We allow the devil to sabotage our change by reminding us how weak we are. We say, I'm not, not really that glorious right now. I was, I was thinking of the scripture in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and the, this is in morning prayer too, so I love how God works. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So you're glorious in your weakness. You're glorious where you, at, you are at right now. So therefore, this is what Paul said, therefore we now boast all the more gladly about our weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. We can boast, we're allowed to boast, but boast about our weaknesses. So from glory, that's where we're at right now, we're already glorious, to glory. As we look to and behold Jesus, we're heading towards even more glory. Who wants more glory? I do, I want more glory. And it's not the glory that we, we talk about with like fame and glory from you know, winning the Super Bowl or, or other, any other athletic event. It's the glory of Jesus to reflect more of who he is. We become, there's a phrase, we become what we behold. What are you looking at? What are you looking at? Um, so as by the spirit of the Lord, that last phrase in the scripture, just as from the Lord who is the spirit. Spirit in the Bible, is a, is a, it has a uh, real close connection. It can be translated to the wind or breath. So whenever you hear spirit, you can, you can interchange those concepts. I, I think it means just how the spirit fills us, like the, a breath fills our lungs. So take a deep breath for a second. Something's in my lungs. I can't see it though. We know it's air, right? But the spirit fills us like that. So take, take a moment to breathe. You can breathe physically, but think about breathing spiritually in the spirit of God and behold him, become him. And maybe this is, a, well, I didn't, actually intended this way we we talked about uh i had this this word and it's just so happened and i believe it's of god that um you know i'm preaching the day we're going to start um 24 7 worship and prayer what an opportunity to behold jesus 
It's a perfect time to practice more beholding. It's a perfect time to fill our vision with only Jesus. So back to the very first scripture I started with, um, which was um, talking about in Proverbs that without vision or without revelation, people perish. At the, at the root of the word revelation is to revel. Anybody ever hear that word revel? We don't use that word very much anymore, but to revel in something is to enjoy it, to great, take great pleasure in that. So I heard it, heard it said this way. There's, there was a woman who, who said she felt in her heart that God wanted to tell her something, that God wanted to be with her, and she was scared about it. She was like, I don't really know if I want to be with Jesus right now. I'm just doing, I'm, I'm having, I'm just having going about my day and I'm scared about what he's going to say to me. And it said that in this story, God finally caught up with her and just in her thoughts said, I didn't want to take anything from you. I didn't want to punish you. I just wanted to give you something. And so that's what God wants to do. He always wants us to, wants to give us something. He always wants us to, to take us from glory to glory. Um, and when we, uh, revelate when we are allowing God to speak into and he reveals more of himself to us our vision becomes sharper but we can enjoy that delight in that it's a it's, it's truly a, a delight to have Jesus revealed in our hearts so um, Stephanie actually promised the same thing this morning during announcements but I'm going to promise it too that God will show up if you take time to behold him he will show up. I can, I can speak this from personal experience that if you take the time to behold him, even practically speaking, you, we think, oh man, I can't take an hour out of my day to do this. I can't take two hours out of my day. I've got so much to do. And don't we all? Don't we all have so much to do? But it's amazing how that works. It's just like finances too, that Stephanie said. We think that we have a limited amount of it. We think that we have a finite amount of time and a finite amount of money. And there's a, there's a earthly reality about that but set our eyes on things that are above and watch what happens. Watch what happens when you set aside some time to reveal. And I guess I would just end today by sharing this. Take, take a moment, even right now in this place, to ask God where you, he can change your vision, where he can correct your vision, all right? And if you're not sure where that starts, some good, good places to start, some good next steps for you would be to sign up for an hour in the prayer room, a great start. If you're like, uh, um, maybe for you, scripture really does it for you. You know, meditate and read the the book of First John, which is all about light, all about practically walking in love. It's it's full of it. It's like the Pastor Steve uses the phrase a bullying cube, but it's true in like five or six chapters of the Bible, which you can probably read the whole book of First John in maybe a half an hour or forty five minutes. Amazing, filled filling you with uh, light and love and everything of God. But those two things, or even right now, take a moment where you're at, or better yet, invite somebody to pray with you that God would correct your vision so that you can see him clearly, so you can see specifics. And even, I even believe this, and I, and I, I will stake my uh, a guarantee on this as well, that as we um, ask God to correct our vision, we will see the things that we're praying for come clearer. We will see specifics. I believe just like that vision of God, as our as the eye chart becomes clearer, we can see more of the letters. I believe that God will allow the details of our life to become clearer 
So if you're a young person and you're saying, by the way, thanks Warren today for calling me a young man. I appreciate that. As a guy who just turned 40, that was awesome. He, he prayed for me today and called me young man. Sorry, wrecking the moment for a second, but thank you. That meant a lot to me um, as a 40-year-old. But, um, you know, as, as you, and I totally lost my thought, but as, as you um, allow yourself to be a minister to, allow somebody else to come in and even speak to you, um, more clearly so your vision is corrected. God will make the details of your life. Uh, yeah, that's what I wanted to say, that God will, if you're a young person and you're saying, I don't even know what I want to do next year, let alone 20 years from now, correct your vision, allow your vision to be corrected. If you're an older person, whatever age you are, it doesn't really matter, that allow your vision to be corrected so you can see God more clearly. Let's pray and just uh, allow God to correct your vision now as we pray. Oh, Jesus, we desire to see you. We desire to see you with our whole hearts, with our spiritual eyes. As we sang this, this morning, would you open the eyes of our heart that we would see you high and lifted up today, the way we would see you glorified. And Jesus, I just thank you too that even as we declare and praise you, as we praise you this morning and glorified you, that you desire to transform us from glory to glory. So I pray that we wouldn't be satisfied with where we're at right now, but that we would desire to have more, that we would acknowledge the truth that you, are, you have made us glorious even right now, but you're calling us into greater glory. So Jesus, I just thank you for a year of 2023. We reflect upon what you've done, how you've moved, the great things you've done, how you've demonstrated your faithfulness, and we're excited for a new vision for 2024. God, I've seen you more clearly than ever of allowing our vision, our vision to be corrected. And so we are patient, Jesus. We wait. We wait for you. Do what you can do, only do today, Jesus. Transform our lives today. Thank you, Jesus. And like that line that we sang in the song, be thou my vision today. May the only thing that we see in our vision, spiritually and even physically too, be you, Jesus. We bless your name, God. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Sure. I think it's on. I'm just trembling all over the place. And I just feel like this thing about the 24-7 prayer room. Hear me when I say this. I know you've been hearing about it all morning. But Stephanie's not inviting you. Todd's not inviting you. I'm not inviting you. But there's an invitation from the Lord for you with what we're doing with this 24-7 prayer room. And I too, I promise you, if you come after him, he's going to come after you. Maybe you're you think, you know, I can't, what am I going to talk to the Lord about for an hour? And I, I kind of felt that way too when I thought about, you know, doing long periods of, of prayer up there the last time we did this. But what he said to me when I first went up there was, just be still. Can you be still for an hour? Now you might think, I can pray at home. But I know it at my home and probably a lot of your homes, but for an hour, try to go, try to be in your home for an hour without an interruption. But we're setting this room apart for him. 
and there are no interruptions. The only thing you're going to receive is the voice of God speaking life into you.